Reading from the Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighbor's town, neighboring town, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout the Galilee, proclaiming the message in their own synagogues and casting out demons. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went to Simon and Andrew's house where Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law. And as soon as he finished healing her, the townspeople showed up with others in need, those who were demon-possessed, those who were sick. The whole town gathered around their door. You can imagine the need staring Jesus in the face. As soon as one person was healed, another was lined up for his turn. In the process of healing one, Jesus would look up and see the throngs gathered there wanting his care. It says he ministered into the night, but then, while it was still dark, he went out to a deserted place to pray. I wonder, did he have Isaiah in mind as he prayed? Did he, no doubt weary and perhaps faint, recall Isaiah's promise that God gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless? Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like Eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In the midst of endless need and unyielding requests, did Jesus recall Isaiah's teaching to wait for the Lord? I struggle to wait. It's hard for me. I get anxious. I want to do something. Unlike the recommendation of the experts that your car emergency kit should have a blanket and some food and a flashlight, my car's emergency kit is a book or a magazine in case I get stuck in traffic somewhere because I can't wait without doing something. Waiting is not usually fun. I'm interested when I go to the grocery store to see how people move about. You know, the grocery store has gotten good, like other stores of of piping and music that might make us feel good. And you can see people happily humming and strolling through the aisles. They'll get to the coffee section. There are 40 
choices and they happily look through all of those. But the moment they get into line, doesn't matter how they felt until they got there. The moment they get in line, even if the tabloids are very interesting, they become grumpy. Waiting's tough. Waiting's especially tough when it's not just an inconvenience. You've had the test. They sent it off to pathology. And then there's that grueling week of you wondering what it could be. God forbid searching the internet for what it might be while you wait for them to come back with what it is. Waiting can be excruciating. It can be. But it can also be liberating. When we wait upon the Lord, we begin to realize that we are not the primary actor in this world. We are not the one that brightens the day with the sun's rise or the night with the stars and the moon. We aren't the one who mixes the rain and the soil and the sun to grow crops that fill our buggy which we so impatiently wait behind in line. We are not the ones who hold the keys to hell and to death. The one who will walk patiently with us through the diagnosis, through the treatment. When life is weary, the way to have our strength renewed is to wait upon the Lord. To recognize that there is a God. And we are not him. Pope John the 23rd was known to have prayed at the end of a day. Lord, it's your church. I'm going to bed. I've prayed that before. It's a relief to turn to God. They're your 1,911 people, Lord. I'm going to bed. All 1,911 people, a heavy weight, but not quite the weight of 1.2 billion Roman Catholics in the world. I can understand why the Pope needs that prayer. Lord, it's your church. I'm going to bed. Sometimes it's the Christian's duty to turn life over to God and to simply wait. The Pope spends his day doing his best for the church. He does not waste the gifts or the responsibility that have been endowed to him. But he also recognizes that he is not God. And it is not his church. There's only so much he can do. It's a powerful testament to his faith. The Lord turned over, and I suspect the Pope turned over, and I suspect Pope Francis turns over all he had done, left undone, wanted to do, started to do, meant to do, failed to do, all that that day held, turns it over to God who was ultimately responsible and waited. Waited to see what God would do. Jesus, between healing the sick and 
his town. And going throughout Galilee to heal the sick in other towns, went to a quiet place and prayed. While others waited for Jesus' next move, he waited for God's. He struck the balance, that critical balance between doing and waiting. To always do is the blasphemy of thinking we are the saviors of the world. And to always wait is to deny that God calls us to join him in the saving of this world. At times we wait, and at times we do. None of us wants our doctor to say it's a blockage, or it's not. We'll just wait and see. We want them to use their knowledge, their skills, their insight to work for us. Give it all you've got, doc. Which is right. But as he or she does, it will necessarily involve waiting. There's a limit to what your doc can do. She can do a lot. But then the waiting begins. It's part of the process, sometimes the worst part. Sometimes the greatest source of anxiety is the waiting. But then there are times when waiting is a gift. Waiting can teach us. When we're forced to wait, we begin to learn that God is not a vending machine granting instant satisfaction. We might join the throngs of others who are praying for God to act, only to find that our answer is we must wait. God isn't working on our timeline. And sometimes waiting is part of the deal. And sometimes waiting is part of the gift. When we wait, we realize there is a God, and we're not Him. But it's good to spend time with Him. As we wait, our lives indicate that we are not only with God because of what God can do for us, that we are with God because we love God even when we're not getting our way on our schedule. I will wait for you is a love song worth singing. I will renew you is God's loving response. I look at Jesus' movement in the Gospels, how he lived his life. There was certainly much activity, but there were also times of waiting. In the Gospel, we see this pattern. He worships. Then he heals. He retreats to pray. Then he serves. He does. He waits. He's renewed. He does again. We see this at the beginning of Mark. He worshipped and then he went to Simon's house to heal the mother-in-law. We see him heal the crowds and then we see him go off to pray alone. We see this in the middle of the Gospel. We see it again at the end of the Gospel where he has had his last supper with the disciples and then goes to the garden to pray before he goes to the cross to die. His prayer in that garden is profoundly faithful. Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I want, 
but what you want. Jesus' actions, and there were many, were born out of his listening to the Father, his engagement with God. Jesus never acted impulsively. He waited, seeking God's desire for what he would do next, how he was to do next. There's a rhythm. Praying, listening, then doing. Without the praying, the renewal, he would not have been as good at the doing. We're good at the doing. And a significant part of following Jesus is the doing. But we aren't called to do just anything. We're called to do as he leads. Sometimes to do that well means to wait until he tells us what to do and how to do. We will always do better when we do from a time of renewal. I don't want you to use this sermon as an excuse for doing nothing. But I also don't want us to let our addiction to moving, to performing, to producing be an excuse to not seek God's desires. Or to be so blasphemous as to think we're the ones who really make it happen. Choose God's rhythm. Wait. Then do. Worship. Then serve. Pray. Then act. Let God care for you so that you're better able to care for others.